Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. In the world of, of social media, there are certain personalities that, whether they know it or not, serve as sort of bellwethers and mentors and exemplars for those of us who are just paddling out. And I'm really excited to have Brian Vardabedian, who is one of those people on Twitter. He is at Dr. Underscore V. He's been at the game for a while. I've learned a tremendous amount watching his feed. I was really fortunate to go on his podcast a few months ago, and we're going to talk all about this sort of stuff. I'm really excited to have him on the show. Before we get to our conversation, just to remind everybody, please check out the website for Explore the Space, www.explorethespaceshow.com. You can find me on Twitter at ETS Show. You can email me, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. I love to get feedback from listeners and ideas and concepts. Really helps kind of drive and energize what we're doing here. You can find Explore the Space on all of the podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. You can find us there. If you find us, please do leave a rating and a review and definitely subscribe. That's the most powerful thing you can do for any podcast that you like, whether it's Explore the Space or something else. When people are window shopping for podcasts, when they just go on their platform and start browsing, the thing that will elevate the stuff that you like so other people will find it is you leaving a rating and a review and subscribing. So if you have the opportunity to do that for Explore the Space or any podcast that you like, please don't miss that opportunity. So here we are. Brian Vardabedian is here. He is a pediatric gastroenterologist in Houston, Texas with Texas Children's Hospital. I did some of my training when I was a medical student there. There is nowhere like it on the planet. Uh, it's just an amazing place that does incredible work. He is a Twitter personality of note. He is a very active blogger at 33charts.com. He hosts a podcast called The Exam Room. And I just want to say, and, I, and, and Brian, I just told you this, one of the things that I pride myself with Explore the Space is we don't script things. So before we get into that, Brian, welcome to Explore the Space. Mark, it's great to be here. Uh, thanks for inviting me. So as I was saying, I, I don't script my shows. People will email me when they're about to come on. Hey, what are the questions going to be? And I say, I don't really know. We're going to do this like good improv, but here's some themes. Here's some ideas for this one. You and I were texting back and forth last night. And after we finished texting, I said, you know what? We're going into this one free form. This is just going to be Brian and Mark in the rodeo ring, sound the horn and let's go to it. I have no notes. I have no script. You and I have so much to talk about. The things that are right, the things that are important, they're just going to percolate to the top. So, Brian, hold on. We're just going to go for it. It's like a couple of free-range chickens. Exactly. That's perfect. That's perfect. Well, you know, Mark, I'll tell you, one of the things on my podcast in the exam room uh, when you were a guest that everybody commented on about me was the fact that I was so natural in my conversation with you. And so one of the things that that conversation kind of taught me was that this natural exchange that's not scripted that you just suggested, I think is really more powerful than anything else. I agree with you. And, and the reason that I like it, so a podcast, there's a couple podcasts that I've learned a lot from, and it's the, it's not so much the show, but it's the interviewer and their style, Bill yeah. Simmons and Torre. And you can tell when they're talking to their guests, they do not have notes. They are, they are there at the bar. They're there at the coffee table. They're there at the restaurant. They're just there with someone that they're excited and fired up to talk to, and they let it rip. And when that happens, 
I feel like I'm sitting there too. And I love that. I love being at a table with a bunch of people and we're all chatting and exchanging ideas and arguing and laughing. So that's the concept is can we create that same dynamic? And when I came on your show, holy cow, was that fun? I mean, we could have gone for three hours. Right, right, right. We had to cut it off, I think. Uh, we um, definitely had to cut it off. Right. I think, you know, I will tell you, so far, I haven't reached that, that total Quan state yet where I can completely go. That is a good podcast, Jerry Maguire cut. I, try to cre- I, I do try to create an arc in my head, you know, yeah. like what direction I'm going to take it. But yes. um, I do, as much as possible, try to create that, that situation that you talk about, you know. I agree. And, and having that idea of an arc in your head, I think it, it, it'll guide the narrative eventually to where it wants to go, but it just allows you to take all the off ramps and all the tourist destinations and the Vista points that you need to take while you're on the drive. The other great example is, you know, Christopher Guest, who was in Spinal Tap and Waiting for Guffman and all of those sorts of, he doesn't script his movies. He wireframes them and then he just lets the actors go do their thing. Mm-hmm. So for me, if I have you on the podcast or if I have anybody else on the show, they don't, I, you don't need me pushing you in a certain direction. We need to just allow the good stuff and the cool things that you do to just get out there. So to that end, I want to start with Twitter. I want to start with what you do and what you put out on Twitter. You've been in the Twitter game as a physician for a long time. You're one of the really early adopters, which is unique. What, the journey that all of us are on for me, right? I'm, I'm what, four or five months into being really active on Twitter. You're yeah. many years into being very active on Twitter. How did that even start? Because I, when I look at your start date on your Twitter feed yeah. and I reflect what was I doing and how was I conceiving and thinking about Twitter, it You're was right. a hard pass and you were right in there. Yeah. You know, I, um, kind of jumped on and, uh, I thought it just would be a flash in the pan, so I created a just a created name, jumped in in 2008, and um, had a blog at the time. Uh, was very active as a blogger, and thought I'd experiment with this and jumped in. And um, at the time, the whole concept of being in a stream of people having a conversation—if I could just bottle what that felt like when I first jumped in—it was crazy, and I was almost addicted to it at first. Um, but I would say over the long span, it's really been a journey, Mark. You know, things have really changed on Twitter over the past decade since I've been using it. Um, Most notably, the number of physicians who are now on Twitter. And I think it's really changed things a lot, for some better and some worse. For some better. You you mentioned something just there that I I think was interesting and I want to ask you about. When you first started, you were using it a lot. And I think you may have said something like maybe too much. And and that strikes me because two things. One... Like so many, I am still trying to figure out being in my first few months of being active, like I'm probably on it way too much and I need to mm-hmm. figure out how to dial that back. There's a There was a, a, a venture capitalist in Silicon Valley who's a physician by training who wrote an article that somebody else put on Twitter, and that's how I saw it, about why he stepped away from Twitter two months ago. Right. It was a very, very good article by David Shaywitz, and I liked it. And so how have you found that sweet spot of I'm engaged, I'm active, I'm sharing, I'm doing good creative stuff, I'm blogging, I'm podcasting, and I'm enjoying this platform, but I'm not overrun by this platform? So, uh, Mark, you've heard of the, the Gardner hype cycle, right? I have That's not. when a new technology comes in. There's this period of, like, irrational exuberance, and then we have this trough of disillusionment, and then we kind of come back to a steady space. Okay. And, and I think what you're going through and what everybody goes through is 
when we first get, you know, jump into the stream, it's really intoxicating and we, we just can't get enough of it. Um, I think we all kind of come to a happy spot where we find real value for ourselves and we find value for, we find a way to create value for the people as well. So I think that's kind of a journey that we all take and we get excited initially and then we kind of adjust ourselves and find that way that, that that's balanced, you know? Does that so that's balancing kind of something cycle, I'd for. Does that balancing cycle, do you think that it's an, an individual journey or in that hype cycle that you described, which I'm, I'm filing that under look up after show is over because that, that really resonated. Do you, do you find, do you think, or does this describe that it's for everyone, the arc is different or after a certain period of time, everyone kind of equilibrates? I think they equilibrate in their own way. I think one of the things that I've observed about Twitter and physicians is when people jump in, they really have no idea what they're doing, which is kind of beautiful in a certain way. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. But we all ultimately land with, with like how we like to use this platform. Um, For me, I've kind of evolved away from Twitter as a real kind of social medium for conversations. And for me, it's, shaped up to be more of an information distribution channel and a way that I get information. And it's not, I'm not being judged about the way other people use it because everyone does their own thing, but that's kind of the way it's uh, settled out for me. You know, one of the things that I like about this though, is as you said, right, none of us know what we're doing when we first start, you know, in right. medicine, one of the wonderful things about our profession is that we teach each other. And that's, that's part of the DNA. No, you know, mm-hmm. you see one, you do one, you teach one the amount of scholarship and the amount of people who like yourself are good at the platform and have worked through the hype cycle and do understand some of the do's and don'ts and the pitfalls and the things that will really drive and accelerate traffic. There's a lot of teaching about that now. So at the society of hospital medicine annual meeting, a big conversation with some real, uh, real luminaries in hospital medicine talking about social media packed room was packed. I had Avi O'Glasser from Oregon Health Sciences University talking about social media and medicine. It's one of my most popular downloads. There are now designated positions. There's directorships. There's professorship tracks on social media and medicine. Mm-hmm. In 2008, when you stepped in, was would you have ever dreamed we'd be in that place? No, not at all. And I will tell you, one of the great things about this whole deal was watching you at the Society for hospital medicine a couple of weeks back. I was just watching you and we call the back channel, which is the conversation that happens at these meetings. And so um, the way it's evolved, uh, I never would have imagined quite honestly, I would say 10 years ago, it, it was a little more homogeneous. Everyone was sort of having the same conversations. One of the things that's really changed now is that we've got so many doctors on that people are kind of finding their own niche, which is, which is kind of cool, you know, hospital medicine, cardiologists, academic geeks, so on and so forth. So it's kind of settled out that way, which is kind of interesting. So then one of the other things, of course, with the number of doctors that are on social media is we have to remember, right. It can feel like an echo chamber. It can feel like it's just you and me and some other folks from TCH Mm -hmm. and Mary Brandt that we're chatting. It ain't just us, right? Everybody can see this. And one of the things that I find interesting about Twitter in relationship to explore the space, it is the interface of healthcare and society. If you and I are chatting about a complex, you know, medical issue or uh, a new study, or we're arguing about something else, people who are seeking healthcare, people who may or may not be patients, they can find that they can access it and they can respond. What do you like? And what do you not like about that dynamic? 
Um, you mean the fact that we can engage with non-physicians yeah. or non-medical people? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think it's great. I think yeah. uh, it has opened up so many my eyes to so many different things. Uh, the patient viewpoint with chronic patients has been one thing that early on really uh, it really opened me up to that. Um, you know, I will tell you that back 10 years ago when there weren't that many docs on Twitter, we were a little wilder uh, because nobody was looking. And I will <laughs> say that going you know, up till now, Twitter's become a little bit more sterile because I know whenever I send out a tweet, my hospital administration's watching. Everybody's looking. So interesting. Yeah, I'm a little cleaner than I used to be, um, so to speak. But um, I think that exposure or crossing disciplines is one of the great features of networked engagement. Right. Yeah. Um, in fact, I like to, I like to engage with people who aren't physicians. I think it's one of the most rewarding parts of what I do is Why? Why? seeing I other that. people. I love that you say that. I think that one of that's one of the real accelerants of what you do and I, and with your blog and, and your podcast and all the stuff you create, I think my observation and, and please at me if I'm wrong here, you would suggest that it, it's, it's enjoyable and fun to interact with people who are not physicians. Do you think that that sounds right to me? Let me just start with that. Do you right. feel like that's the comfort zone that a lot of physicians are in when they're on social media? I, I think so. Yeah. I think people fall into where they're comfy, right? Which is people they know, but I think the real, when we talk about just innovation and technology, I think a lot of the best and greatest innovations that uh, uh, that we're going to bring into medicine have been found in the consumer space, for example. And yeah. so, and so many amazing creative ideas that people are doing outside of medicine uh, that we can pull in and learn from. I think it's it's dangerous to get into that echo chamber. I agree, and so that's the next thing for me that's really important is on Twitter. I, I experiment with things that may or may not resonate, and also things that may or may not feel like they're as important to me as I think they are. And one thing that has become really important to me is healthcare physicians getting our best stuff forward, getting our best writing, our best thinking, our best creativity into the forward-facing space, as opposed to being behind a paywall or being in what I what I now term PubMed hell where no one's right. ever going to see it again, right? Nature abhors a vacuum. And when we don't let our best stuff out where people can access it, something else is going to fill that vacuum. You create a ton of really good content. You blog and you podcast. I haven't looked at your CV. I don't know how much academic publishing you do, but when you're sitting down to write something, do you think to yourself, I want this in the Journal of Gastroenterology or I want this in the public sphere? Is that part of your thought process? You know, one of the great challenges that I face right now every day, Mark, is the idea of where to put an idea and when to put an idea out there. So if you look at the spectrum, the whole continuum of where I can place ideas, there's something very, very basic on Twitter, there's something I put on my blog, there's something I can reserve and hold for a journal article or for a mainstream editorial. Um, and honestly, sometimes if you put something on your blog, you kind of can't put it into a journal after that. So I am constantly thinking about where I'm going to put my thinking, where I'm going to put my ideas. Um, and it's probably I a big rewind. challenge. I'm pressing rewind. You said if you put something in a blog, you can't necessarily put it in a journal later? So, it, well, it's interesting. If, if you look at some of the editorial guidelines uh, for some of the major journals, they will say that if this has been published before, they okay. won't consider it. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And that's really intriguing because one of the things that we 
myself and a, and a small cohort of people like to debate is what is the role of the academic journal going to be and the right. challenges that it faces. That's dumb. That is dumb policy at this point. Why on earth, if Brian right. Bartabedian puts something on his own blog, that's his own content, and then offers it to your editorial staff to review and decide that right. you're going to exclude it simply because he put it on a blog, this guy who gets many, many thousands of hits and encounters for anything he puts up, that, right. is, that is dumb. No, it is crazy. And I think, I think if I challenged it and pushed it, uh, it's something that I think could be overcome for sure. Yeah. But it does sit in the back of my mind when I have a big idea. But um, wow. more often than not, I see my blog as sort of a sandbox for new ideas. And okay. I love to stick stuff out there. And I don't want to wait for it to get into a journal. And it yes. comes back to bite me sometimes because I think I some of these ideas that I have, like a thousand posts, could be bigger ideas and get bigger mainstream following. Uh-huh. But uh, do you – so you have a triage process. If you have tomorrow, let's say you wake up in the morning and you, you have a good idea, something that to you feels meaningful and it looks mm-hmm. like the corner is open and when you put it out, it's going to resonate. What is the hierarchy for you right now of where you would want that to land to have best impact and best effect? Yeah. So uh, I would – you know, shorter ideas and things that I find, uh, obviously, there are things that go out on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, bigger ideas that I'm that I that I'm forming will go on my blog. If it's something I think is a really big idea, it's something that I'll I'll I'll, I'll you know save or try to hoard it a little bit for an editorial or something bigger. Okay. Um, if I've got I've published a couple of books, if I have a book concept, I'll sometimes hold on to that okay. and not spring it on my blog too early. Got it. Okay. But you own that. You control that. You don't let anybody else say, Brian, put this here. Brian, put that there. For it's, it is it is Brian Vardabedian, board director, president, CEO. Yes, exactly. I mean, I kind of decide where I, where I put my ideas and, and, and where they go. Yeah. Uh, but I think this idea of triaging where we put our thoughts is sort of a, a, a new challenge of the digital age, right? right. We have this That's embarrassment right. of riches of what we can do. Yes. I mean, do you go through, through the same thing, Mark? Do you, do you do you ever triage or you, you have your podcast, right? I have. So I have my podcast right now. I'm a little bit bandwidth limited to do the writing that I would like to do, but it's, yeah. it's interesting that you asked that. I had an interesting experience a month ago at the society of hospital medicine annual meeting. There had been these lengthy debates and I've talked about this on other episodes around social media and the professional curriculum vitae, the, the professional resume. Right. And I think right. this applies to any profession, not just medicine. And there was all this back and forth and it was, outstanding and I loved it around should we be putting our social media contributions that are related to the work that we do onto our professional CV and there were people who would would say to me Mark it doesn't have a place and and I would say it does and we back and forth and finally I'm like listen I'm I'm very fortunate to be in a position where I get to hire physicians and I get to help build teams I'm not asking I'm telling you to put this stuff on your CV because I want Mm -hmm. to see it and I want to talk to you about it. So then I get to sit down with two absolute titans of hospital medicine, Charlie Ray from UC San Francisco and the San Francisco VA and Mm -hmm. Vinny Aurora from the University of Chicago. These are like Mount Rushmore personalities in the work that we do. And we had this conversation and and it was this wonderful discussion. It wasn't so much of a debate because we were really in unanimity that these items need to be there. But now we got to sift it out. So in that triaging process, the driver for me in terms of getting it out was more related to tempo. We had this concept. The podcast went up. It was really well received. And I'm like, this should be written up. It will take forever to get it written up into the 
you know, the structure that a journal would want. And actually, Charlie has a really nice post just today about that, and I'll link to it, that we need to be focusing on the science and not the structure when we write academic articles. And then I'm like, look, this corner's open. I don't want to get beaten to the punch. So I I have Explore the Space LLC, and we wrote a white paper, and we shared right. it together, and we published it. And it's it's there, and it's copywritten. It's great. I read that. Yeah. It's uh, really nice work. I mean, obviously, and you you – I followed that because you brought that right from that cast, uh, right to production. Yeah. Three weeks, right? So we edited, so we recorded and the show was up, I think 72 hours later. And then the white paper. Oh, sorry. The white paper. Yeah. The white paper took a couple of weeks after that. Yeah, you're right. So the white paper, I basically uh, on Twitter DM to Charlie and Vinny, Charlie, Vinny, I think that this merits some, some attention and I think we need to codify it. Let's do a white paper. And, you know, SHM has a long tradition of very effective and useful white papers. I've used some of them mm-hmm. in my work. I They're not hard to do, and this is important. That we, we need to start figuring this out. We are the generation that is sorting this stuff out. There is no rule book yet. We get to write it. And so we did. And it's been absolutely fascinating. So for me to get back to your question of what drove it and what drives my um, content release this was tempo. This was, I want to be first. I'll be honest with that. I want this. I want Vinny and Charlie's thought process and and hospital medicine and this approach. I want to be there first. I want to put the flag down first. And, you know, it does raise this question about the future of of journals and the whole process of bringing an idea to publication, many months and the headaches. I mean, that's kind of the motivation. I have these, I have these ideas that are nascent. They're not fully formed and I have this space to put them in, which I think is, is, is great. Yeah. But I, I just can't imagine going, and I've done this before, submitted these editorials to these journals and you get these reviewers and all this nonsense. And yep. so it's a problem uh, for makes them. Me wonder with where things are headed with uh, yeah. the way physicians communicate. It's a problem for them because more and more people, I think, and when you look at the, you know, the generations coming up behind us in medicine, they just want to share. They want to get their stuff out there. And they're so good at this. They're not going to wait. They're going to say, I'm going to self-publish or I'm going to self-release. The journals need to move that 180 degree place of we eschew blog posts to Brian. We saw your blog post. Can we publish that? That's really cool. That fits our mission. It's really thoughtful and it intersects with the work that we're trying to do at the journal of blank. Can we please publish that? And, you know, it'll be yours, but can we publish it? We need to get to that place where they are actively seeking this stuff out as opposed to being, you know, the castle on a hill guarded by, you know, right. gun towers and a deep moat to say, hey, this this stuff is welcome. This is our – you're our people. We got to get this stuff out there. Mark, have you been following these uh, Twitter, uh, Twitter threads that have been – actually, they've been news. I guess you're so new to Twitter that you you've – you identify these Twitter threads that people run, you know, they run these long kind of conversations on Twitter. What do you think of those? The ones that are academic, you mean, or the ones that are just long well, sort of narratives? you know, um, people will run, you know, 20, 20 tweets in a, in a string yes. with this long, you know, amounts to 300, 400 words or something like right, that. Right, right, right. Um, I think I know what you're getting at. There's been some where it's like, let's do one on cellulitis or let's do one on. Right, uh, right, right. Okay, so I'm glad you asked that. I really like them. There are mm-hmm. a couple of people in hospital medicine that create those, and they were some of the first things that I encountered. Tony Brew, uh, who is back east, he creates them. I think they're masterful. I love them. I learned so much from them. I bookmark them. I refer back to them. They're so heavily annotated 
Right. And he and, and they're simple. It's one question, 18 posts, and then the answer to the question and a, and a kind of a repositioning. I think they are superb. Um, the, the, it, it is the wild west, right? The editorial right. board is an editorial board of one, but I think it's a lot like Wikipedia. If Tony puts something out there and he's wrong, he's going to get hammered. Yeah. <laughs> we, we publication review. Yeah. We will, we will light him up. If he says that, you know, aortic stenosis is not a problem and I'm just pulling that out of thin air, he's going to get rocked for it and he would have to take it down. If he right, puts right, something right. up that's factually inaccurate, he's going to get hammered. Um, the crowd is smart. The crowd is very smart and the crowd reads. And I think that's also the point. And that's part of what we were debating is if he puts one of these up and he gets, and I'm, I'm going to pull a number out of thinner, 50,000 engagements over 24 hours, which I think is probably pretty close to right. Uh-huh. That belongs on his curriculum vitae that belongs right. in his advancement. All of those, that is meaningful impact. So the thing what I love watching about the threads is the creative way that people are taking a medium and using it to reach the masses. Totally. Cause anybody Which can read those. It's funny that right. you say that. Cause I actually, I do love them and I actually, I call them hashtag med threads. When I see one, I tag people who I like on Twitter and follow on Twitter who are not physicians who I think are going to like it. I find that so, more interesting than tagging another cardiologist on a thread about aortic stenosis. I want to tag people who I know are journalists and comedians and whatever yep, yep. and say, check this out. This is just cool. Yeah. And it's interesting. That, so here's the thing. I see some of these um, and I wonder, I, I think some docs are looking for a place to put bigger ideas and just tweets. And I think the thread uh, okay. answers that. My nice. concern is the capacity to find these at a later date. You know, they, they float down the stream. They're not yep. as easy to find, you know? That's right. That's right. That's a really good point. And so it, I like to say, you know, these things will disappear. You know, an, an, a journal article will disappear into PubMed hell. Well, right. we got to be very mindful that we don't create Twitter hell and that these great mm-hmm. things that, you know, someone creates, you can't find them again. And I think that that's actually, it's good that you call that out. That's an important thing that we got to get good at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it. I think some of these docs would, would love having a medium page on a podcast or some other place to put bigger ideas than Twitter. I think, I don't think you can, you know, man cannot live on Twitter alone because it's, uh, it's such a short format exchange. It's so constrained, you know? Yeah, yeah. What do you like to do with social media that's not related to the practice of medicine? What, you know what I mean? So when we think about kind of crossing that divide, where else do you interact with people as opposed to, you know, putting something that you've put up on a blog or you've done a podcast or you want to comment about a book that you've read and your book review of Eric Topol's book was awesome, by the way. Um, where do what else do you like to use the platform for? Who else do you like to connect with? How does that work for you? Yeah. You know, I guess, I guess, a lot of what I write about is sort of thinking outside the box in medicine yes. and the way um, we as physicians are transitioning into a new world with technology. So I tend to spend a fair amount of time engaging with people in uh, the tech world, uh, startup world, the creativity world. And I love engage. I, I love those connections because it, it keeps me motivated and it keeps me interested um, I don't, you know, what's so interesting about what I do is I don't talk about digestive health in children, despite being a, a pediatric gastroenterologist. And it's so interesting why I don't do that. And I think it, I'm so enamored with all the stuff that's happening around me in medicine that um, 
I kind of get pulled in that direction. Yeah. It keeps me from burning out, you know? Totally. So for me, it's sports stuff and it's coffee. And as it turns out, there's yes. a bunch of docs that are into coffee, but it's, you know, those two things, cause that's stuff that I love to do anyways. Right. But let me ask you this. So you sit in a place where when you're on Twitter, you've got a lot of followers and you have some cachet and I'm going to, I'm going to just take a step back to, I think I was like in medical school or in residency or something. And I really like to play backgammon. And I was like, let me just try playing backgammon online and see what happens. And I mm. was in that beginner strata. And so it was just no one, no one wants to play with the beginner. No one wants to play with the unknown quantity. Yeah. When you're engaging on Twitter back in the day when you were just paddling out and didn't have a lot of followers to now when you have, you're in the, you're in the deep five figures, did you get more engagements from people when you would just kind of ping them? Did you notice that there's a difference or do you notice that there's a hierarchy? Uh, there's clearly a hierarchy on in, in all forms of social media with doctors for sure. Um, but how about when you reach outside of medicine and you want to talk to somebody about something separate? Uh, do you find that there's more engagement because you more engagement now when just based on your profile, perhaps you will be seen as being more weighty versus six years ago when same person, same ideas. Yeah, maybe. I, I think and you're probably over, overstating my capacity for okay. influence, honestly. I mean, I think, um, uh, okay. so I'd say I, no. I don't agree, I but no. that's I mean, people are, you know, I mean, people don't pay attention to that quite as much, but, um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's not, right? That's a tough one. That's, it is. And I think we're going to have to figure that out, but I think that it's, it, there are so many people that want to contribute you can't reply to everything. Like if Patton Oswalt, the comedian put something up about a movie right. and I reply to it, I'm not expecting him to reply. I'm hoping cause that would be super cool, but look, the, he's going to get millions and millions of people pinging him and whether he chooses to just have a, to try a little bit or not, I, I'm not going to invest too much in it. I, I suppose. Yeah. It's always hard to know like um, how frequently you respond to people who make comments something you say because mm-hmm. um, sometimes you just can't do it as, right. as you know some of these some of these threads get really long and you can send all day on twitter and so you kind of have to be selective but you don't want to be snobby about it either so right, right. Uh, but i try to engage with everyone who reaches out to me i know with authors some authors i've sort of done reviews on my blogs and it, it's remarkable how i'll write 600 words glowing and, and an author won't even recognize or hard on the tweet or anything. It's, it's amazing to me. That is interesting. And, and yeah, it's, and then we have to think about like, do we personalize that? Like, wait a minute, is, is author X a jerk? Cause they didn't put put her a thing or is it, ah, they didn't see it or it's, it's really hard to know, but it is sometimes hard to feel like, Hey man, I put some thought and some time into this. Give me a little fist bump or something. Right, right, right. Yeah. So <laughs> the, it, it's funny, the reviews, I enjoy doing them uh, on my blog. They don't get the biggest amount of reads, but yeah. Anyway, I like, I like reading. I read a lot of books. So you have a lot of different things that you're doing. Well, wait a minute. Step back. You read a lot of books. I'm not leaving that hanging. You write good reviews. I enjoy your reviews. What are you reading right now? now I'm reading a book by a Douglas Rushkoff called Team Human. Good name. I'm about halfway through it. And uh, it's kind of a manifesto to pull back our our connections away from social media, ironically, despite our conversation. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a warning for the future of humanity and it's a kind of an interesting read. He's uh, kind of a socialist thinker, but, uh, enjoy his stuff. How do you curate your reading list? How do you, how do you mix and match so that you get the right balance of fiction, nonfiction, aspirational stuff, depressing stuff? How do you tinker with your books? Yeah. Yeah. I probably, 
I try to mix it up. Um, I probably read a lot of nonfiction um, more than anything. Uh, I do read fiction occasionally. Um, I, I, in terms of format, I, I just about three months ago started picking up audiobooks, which I absolutely love. Totally. Um, I've, so, been, I've been listening to audiobooks since I was a little kid. I love them. How do you? How do you tinker with the? How do you ride out with the sort of ebook versus hard copy? Where do you stand? Oh, ebook for sure. Um, okay. Just because I so when I read a nonfiction book, I'm obsessed with grabbing elements of what I read and dumping it into Evernote and tagging oh, it. And so, I so smart. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Use yeah. these things for later presentations, blog right, posts, right. and whatnot. So okay. you can come into my Evernote. I'll show you some time when my computer open. But that's awesome. I've got you know seventeen thousand notes in there that are tagged with quotes and stuff. Wow, books, so. that's cool. Okay, so you, you're 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 screen grabbing and annotating and and the whole thing as you're moving along. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I like to feel a paper, but. Uh, the value that comes with my being able to pull stuff out of a nonfiction book is just hard to turn my back on. I like that. I'm one, I'm just sitting here thinking, how am I going to do that with my, you know, my favorite sports books and my favorite fiction books. And, you know, when, when the time comes and you just, all you need is just to sit with like a Lee child book about Jack Reacher's adventures. I don't know if I could screen grab those, but I probably should. Cause they're awesome. <laughs> they have yeah, no yeah. academic I mean, value. You wanna, you're not, you're not going to screen. I mean, you're going to read this for pleasure and, and <laughs> yeah, totally. listen to the narrative and all that. That's so. right. That's right. So then what, as you're constructing this stuff, I, and I mean this with all due respect, you have a really cool podcast. You have a great blog. You have a Twitter feed. You have some prominence and personality and you're a busy academic physician. You've got all these threads. They weave in and out. Are you working to connect them? I, I can't figure out what is the central dogma for Brian Vardabedian enterprises yet. Are you figuring it out or have you, do you, do you see the matrix and you're just not telling us yet? How is this going to sift itself out? What do you, what do you mean exactly? You mean like, what's my, what's my, what my, are you, drive, what are you my central yeah. drive? Yeah. What are you moving towards? Cause there's so, you do, your content is good. I was just say that it's good. Your yeah, blog post, well, you. I stop and I read them. You post up a podcast, I'm going to listen to it. And that is hard to do. There's so much content out there. You, you know, you bat like 95 out of 100, which is, that's Hall of Fame stuff. But I I want to know if there's a, I don't know if there's a goal in mind. Or, like an MO. Yeah, yeah, an MO. You know, I don't, I don't think there is, Mark, honestly. You know, I jumped into this and I'm still honestly trying to figure it out you're still trying to um, find your voice huh yeah i'm trying to find my voice on some level yeah. I, I will say that i think this is the most interesting time to be in medicine yes when we look at the changes that are happening the opportunities that we have before us just with media like you and i have talked about it, it, it it's absolutely crazy and so if you look at all thousand posts on my blog it usually deals with some sort of collision of doctors with technology and us adapting to this new world and to me that's just it's it's such a rich space so thinking about it for me is something i love to do and i think that half of my posts that i do are to help me understand what i'm seeing around me right so this is why i knew just putting us in the rodeo ring free range would get us <laughs> where we needed to go i i that makes sense. This idea of looking at technology in medicine and discussing it and describing it. And, and as you're saying that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense with, cause I've read so much of your stuff at this point. I want to connect that to what you said at the beginning of the show about the hype cycle. 
And yeah. you did a really thoughtful review of Eric Topol's new book, Deep Medicine. And we are staring down the barrel of a technological tidal wave that I am still trying to get my mind around. I don't know if most people have any inkling of what's coming. I'm barely figuring it out. You're probably a little more advanced than most. But it is for sure being driven by that hype cycle. We're talking about artificial intelligence and machine learning and the impact it's going to have on our profession. Not whether yeah. is it coming to medicine or not. What impact is it going to have? That hype cycle is like 5,000 RPMs, red hot, like right. just screaming right now. So I think, Mark, honestly, I think we're in a – we're in that peak of the hype cycle. And I Holy think that – we're in like this period of irrational exuberance. It's almost this post-human age where we're trusting machines ahead of humans. And I, I think it's going to pan out. I think we're going to settle back um, and we're going to find a better balance with all this technology. Uh, it may not be for 20 or 30 years, but I think it's going to settle back and uh, we'll find that space where, where technology is working for us as opposed to the other way around. I, I hope so. I am, less optimistic. And I'll say why I look at this from the template of the last big tidal wave of technology that hit medicine. And that was the electronic medical record. Mm -hmm. And it's not done. We're obviously not going back. We're in, you know, phase, phase one of all of this. It's been bumpy. It's been it, really, it has been. really, but if we bumpy. just take the EHR, Mark, yeah. just yeah. a good example would be a company out of Denver called Sopra's health. Okay. And they're doing voice. They have a voice first interface that will connect with Epic so that picture this 30 years from now, you go into the exam room, you have a face to face conversation with a patient. And, and then at the end of the end of the session, you have a note that's completely you know, transcribed by, you know, this machine learning algorithm. So while I think we are in the, the forefront of this, I think it's going to settle out such that we're going to be humans first, ultimately. And, I like that uh, counterpoint. And, and I think that that's probably right. Having just spent the last 10 days on service and being really frustrated and right. big cumbersome click heavy EMR and feeling like I'm really slow when I should be able to be much more efficient. And I, I have to trust that process. I got a long career ahead of me still. This is not static. It's going to get better. But man, when I am using that EMR and then using my iPhone at the same time to look right. something up or what, just having those interfaces in that kind of close juxtaposition. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I think we're just coming out of the primordial soup now. Yeah. And yeah, I yeah. think the other thing too, Mark is we have to be more active participants in there it is. saying what we want. I think physicians have been so passive through the years. Um, did, have you heard this project out of Hawaii getting rid of stupid stuff? No, but I'm in. So first of all, I almost stood up and <laughs> applauded when you said that, that we have to be more active because as AI and machine learning comes, we really have to put our feet in the sand and say, okay, this is not patient centered. This right. is going to be dangerous. This is really inefficient because the forces that are bringing it to the table are not patient centered. They are margin centered. And that's the way commerce works. That's the way our economy works. We have to recognize that, but boy, we have to shoulder to shoulder say, having learned some hard lessons in the past that we have a voice and, you know, Mona Hanna Atisha on my show said, we have a megaphone and we got to keep it turned on. As this stuff rolls towards us, we have to be able to say, that's a hard no, you, this can't happen. Right. So you Google uh, getting rid of stupid stuff. Okay. You'll see a New England Journal of Medicine article from November. Okay. And so basically what they did, um, it was they said, 
they put out a call, tell us all the things in the EHR that are absolutely stupid. People submitted their things, and from the ground up, things were corrected that were a very small step of how physicians can be empowered in sort of shaping the technology going forward. And I think that's that participation is something we don't do a good job at. That's really cool, and I love it. And then it kind of also gets back to what you and I discussed a little while ago. None of us should have missed that. That should have been that should have trended on Twitter, right? That should have been a really right. big deal, and it, it probably kind of just came and went. And people who happened to catch it caught it, and right. then the momentum faded. Like we do need to get better at when you have a cool idea like that. It's got to get amplified. It's got to cross over. It's got to it's got to have some staying power. Absolutely, but you look, look it up. It's kind it's kind of cool. But I think we we need to just be. I think there's this concept called technological determinism, which is that oh. technology is created and we follow along as opposed to humans saying we need technology that fixes our problems. And the HR is a classic example. It's like here's your here's your thing and this is how it's defining the encounter in the room, which is a mistake. I'm going to carry that last statement as the central tension for the next phase of our shared careers. Yes. Technology as something that we follow along with versus technology that helps us. Did I state that right? Because I don't think I caught it as eloquently as you said it. Yeah. So so the concept of technological determinism, you can read about it, basically suggests that technology is driving the bus and we fall, you know, we ride along. Okay. The opposite would be this concept of human agency where we say, no, wait a minute. This is the way the doctor-patient encounter should be, and this is the way technology needs to work around us. And I think that's where we're headed next. That's where we um, need to be heading next. I really like that. That is also, in keeping the keeping consistent with always leave your audience wanting more, that's where you and I are going to stop. We're gonna, wow. <laughs> we're going to wrap the episode up right there. And the reason is, I know you have more to say. I have a lot more to say, so you'll come back. Mark, it's always, it's always amazing. <laughs> exploring the space we did it we did it and we're stopping because that is awesome i do need to read about that i need to spend some time with that because i don't want to have an off-the-cuff conversation with you about that you i asked you this question of what is your central dogma now as i'm putting technological determinism next to the brian vardabedian content experience that makes that's i feel like that's the the key that unlocks it and i like that when it is interesting because it's that. like here's your, it's like here's your thing, adapt around it, right? Like, and we sort of said, okay, yeah, yeah. And part of this is, you know, physician organization. We 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 do a bad, we we do a poor job of hanging together and saying we're not going to do this. I have a feeling we're going to get better at that work, and it's going to be incredible the next time. So I guess it's probably going to be keeping our home and home tradition it'll either be me on the exam room or just you coming back here or both or who cares as long yeah, as you I'll do it you, and i'll have you there. back and we can uh we can kind of take it from there but mark it's amazing this was so fun technological determinism i got to spend a little bit of time with that this is a densely packed episode i think people are going to need to sit with it we'll have really good links show notes things like that so people can connect to all the cool things that brian put forward obviously your blog but as people listen to this where do they find you if they want to read you if they want to connect how do they find you uh, 33charts.com is my site and, uh, and it's the that's numbers. where it's I do three, all my thinking charts, so you right? can go in there and dig around. It's the numbers 33 charts, not 33 written out. Yeah. Yeah. 33charts.com. Yeah, okay. And then how do we find you on Twitter? Uh, Dr. Underscore V. 
Perfect. We will seek you out. Brian, what a treat. This was really fun and I cannot wait for the next round. Mark, thank you. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.